0: Well, good morning and welcome to week three of our sermon series, The People Who Love. And uh, it has just been uh, great to be studying along 1st, uh, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, with you. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and just turn them uh, to 1st uh, to John, chapter 2. And we're going to be there in just a moment. Um, love that song that just reminds us of what we believe. And one of the things that we believe here at Highland Park and as Christ followers believe, is that one day you will stand before Jesus and he will decide your eternity. I mean, it's kind of one of those gulp moments when you just sit back and think about that that moment is coming in which Jesus will judge us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, or he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that just kind of makes us pause for a moment and think, wow, that." is actually coming. Perhaps some of you are here this morning because you stayed awake last night thinking about that very thing. And I imagine many of us have had those moments where we stayed up thinking, what, what would happen to me if today was my last day here on earth? Am I ready for that? And that's one of the questions, one of the issues that um, is raised by John as he writes First John. He wants to answer the question that we all have, which is, how can I know for sure? Can I know that I'm really saved? Can I be sure in my salvation? And the answer is yes. And it, the question, how how can I know for sure that I'm saved? I'll give you a one word answer: die. And not not how you're thinking. I'm not saying go jump off a cliff to make sure you figure out, but it's actually not a physical death that Christ calls us to. It's, it's one in which we die to selves. we die to ourselves to say yes to the life that Jesus wants. That's the really short answer. And in 1 John just has all this great teaching, and I just want us to, to kind of plow through some of it this morning that's going to help us. And so if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 is where we're going to begin. And I just want us to kind of unpack here this morning, how do we die to self? How do we practically do that? Because First John gives us some answers, and that is something that is difficult for all of us, and we all need to know how to do this. So let's look here, and let's just jump right into the text. First John 2.12, I am writing to you, dear friends, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. First way we have to die to self is we die to the idea that we can save ourselves. All of us sometimes have this thought of, I can be good enough to earn salvation. I'm good enough. I can obey enough of God's commands and that it can all work out. And the truth is, it's just not possible. It's not possible. We can't do it. And you can try and you can try and you can try, but one sin completely separates us from God. And chapter 2, verse 12 is this reminder that how are we saved? The name of Jesus. There's no other way. Secondly, we die to self. We die in order to become strong. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one." Now, John, when he's talking to fathers and young men, children, he's probably talking to spiritual fathers and speaking to people on a level of spiritual maturity. But it kind of applies both ways. But here's what I know. This world definitely needs young men who can overcome the evil one. I mean, I've traveled enough around the world that if I show up in any city, neighborhood, place in the world... And if I see all of these issues that are just destroying that society, I can guarantee you that if you look around, you'll see a lot of men, young men, who have been overcome by evil. You just see it everywhere. And oh, for our world to have some more men who can overcome evil. So how do you do it, young guys? How can you do it? How can you help young men overcome the evil one? The text tells us that... The word of God lives in them. Remember Jesus when he was being tempted in the wilderness and Satan came and three temptations are uh, he attacks Jesus with? Do you remember how Jesus responded to all three? He quoted scripture. The word of God living in him was the word of god and if if you want to overcome the evil one the word of god has to be living in you so you're not just reading the scripture like a textbook so you can memorize for the next test but it actually is deep inside you cutting inside you changing you living in you breathing and alive that's what we need and for any parents grandparents out there i just want to step aside and say pray chapter 214 over your children and over your grandchildren over the neighbor children It's a beautiful thing. I write to you, you could pray this, young men, young women, that you would be strong and that the word of God would live in you and you would overcome the evil one. What a beautiful prayer to pray for the children in your life. Third, we die to what the world entices and expects. Oh, that's a tough one. Because we want to please. We want to be popular. We want to go along with what's normal and easy. And uh, God has some different ideas for us here. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives Forever, Chapter 3, verse 7 says to be cautious of those who will lead you astray. And then chapter 3, verse 12, look down there. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And when John is talking about the world, he's not just talking about going out and enjoying creation. He's talking about uh, the world in its fallen state, people given over to sin, the evil one at work, people rebelling against God. And it's hard to try to figure out what's our relationship supposed to look like with me and my neighbors and this world. How is it supposed to work out? Well, the Bible gives us lots of advice. I just want to read several different scriptures here to you. 1 Peter 2.11, be strangers in this world. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. John 17, my prayer is not for them uh, to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. John 18, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see this pattern here? That throughout scripture of saying, okay, you are where you are. Don't run away. Don't become a monk and isolate yourself from the world. No, you're to to be right there in it. However, you're not to love what everyone loves around you. You are to stand out and be different. A light. There's going to be something obviously different About you, so you're you're right there in the world, but you don't become of it. The things around you don't become normal in your life because so so many of the things around you are broken. First John two uh, talks about these normal paths to sin. Talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Maybe that reminds you of another sin, all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve. Lust of the flesh was, man, I'm hungry. Uh, that looks really great to eat. Uh, lust of the eyes, oh, the fruit is so pretty and shiny. I, I think that I'll have some. The pride, we can be as smart as God, really? And that same pattern still plays out in our lives today of thinking, wow, I want to take what can make me comfortable or happy or be pleasing to me. I want to take what looks good. I want to take that what will make me better than other people. Those same three things play out today. That's the pressure of the world. But the world will not understand you. And we don't like this. And I'm not saying you have to like it. But the world won't understand you, so you might as well just get used to it. The world's not going to understand why you would give so much of your life away. The world won't understand why you would say no to things that everybody else says is fine. The world won't get it. So just learn... To be okay with that. Because if we understand that going into it, we'll be like, okay, I knew this was coming. (laughs) I didn't know it was going to come from this person or this person or it's going to come in this specific way, but I knew it was coming. So take a deep breath. Relax. Don't fight back the world. Don't get all angry at everybody who doesn't understand the love of God. Just say, that's how it's going to be. I'm going to keep loving and I'm going to pray that they would change their mind, change their perspective. So we can't abandon the world. We can't fight the world. You can't just get angry, not at all. Instead, we engage the world from a different kingdom, from one of love and light. And dying to self requires this. Dying to self means that we die in order to give life to others so that God can show his compassion and his power. Many of you have been reading this book by John Weiss called Jesus Prom, and I just want to read one quick story from here that's so good that reflects how we can die to self to love others. John's wife's name is Allison. So he writes, Allison and I were in a restaurant eating lunch. When an older couple came into the section where we were seated, they were probably in their late 70s and he was pushing his wife in a wheelchair. It looked as though she had suffered a stroke. After the waiter set the menus down on our table, we both watched as the husband knelt down in front of his wife, gently holding her hands And spoke to her with a smile on his face. It was as though they were the only two people in the restaurant. He did not seem concerned with anyone other than his wife. He put the brake on the wheelchair. Then he scooped her motionless body out of the chair and set her down in the booth. He situated her napkin, plate, and silverware where she could reach them. When her food came, he cut it up and fed it to her. And from time to time, he got up from the table to wipe her mouth. At one point during the meal... I watched him lean across the table, take hold of his wife's hand, and smile at her as he spoke to her. Tears rolled down her cheeks. "'What do you think he's saying to her?' Allison asked me. I said, "'For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health.'" Tears filled our eyes as we imagined how long they had been married and all that they had been through together, and yet it seemed as though they were on their first date." When we die to self, we give life to others. My friend Wade told me a story of a woman in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And it was she lived there with her one child, and she had nothing, nothing at all. And the only way for her to have enough money to buy food for her and her child was to go to the mountain uh, to find firewood. And so each day she would take this walk, to go collect firewood. The problem was that there were men who would not let her pass unless she let them abuse her. And every day, she allowed them to abuse her so she could pass, gather the firewood, come back, sell the firewood, and feed her child. And that's how she lived every single day. A missionary woman just happened to pass her by one day on the street. And they began a conversation. And uh, this missionary woman, uh, who loved the Lord and just loved people with all that she had and had given up so much to be there, began to talk to her. And she heard this woman's story, and her heart just broke for this woman who really on the inside was dying every day. And she asked this Kenyan woman, well, what would it take for you to provide for yourself? What's a way out of this And the lady said, "I just need like a pot and a pan and a couple dollars, and I could start a business. I'm I'm really excellent um, at preparing food, and I could make food and I could sell it. People would buy my food. I just don't have a pot or pan and a couple dollars to get started." Well, missionary lady began thinking and began working behind the scenes and began asking around, and soon uh, they gave her a loan. And with that loan, she was able to purchase a pot and pan and the necessary supplies, and she began selling uh, food instead of having to be abused every day. Years later, she runs her own little small business right there. She provides for her child and now can pay for her child to go to school. She lives a completely different life. She's part of a Bible study there in Nairobi. What changed in her life? She met one person who had died to self to give life to others. And oh, what beautiful life she gave to that woman and to that woman's child. And every time we die to self, we have the opportunity to give life to somebody else. Relationships rise or fall based on our willingness or unwillingness to die to self. That is true. You talk to anybody who works with people in relationships, and it really comes down to if both people die to self continually, the relationship always works. <laughs> it just does. But when we begin hanging on, that's when trouble comes. This means we have to die to laziness and die to comfort and die to apathy, die to selfishness. The needs of others become our own needs. Do you remember the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25? And he, he says, you know, if, if you're looking and you see somebody who has a great need and you don't meet that need, it's like you're not meeting the very needs of Christ. Jesus is very severe in that parable. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. I want to begin reading right there. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Sometimes what needs to die is our very words. Have you ever had a word leave your mouth and you couldn't grab it back? It's kind of like the time that there was a a snowstorm in Joplin, Missouri, and I was a kid, and I remember sneaking around the house and seeing my brother a long ways away. It's like between me and the balcony, and I saw him, and he did not see me. And so I reached down to make a snowball, except the truth was it wasn't a snowball. It had melted the day before and then refrozen. So it was an ice ball of death that I packed together, and my brother still did not see me. And I know that you'll find this hard to believe, but I actually did not want to hurt him. I did want to hit him, but I did not want to hurt him. But I thought, what are the chances that this could even strike him? And I launched it way across our yard over this little ditch to where he was, and Uh, I'm not a great athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but one thing that I can tell is that when I throw something, I know exactly where it's going. When I shoot a basket, I know if it's going in or going off the rim. And as soon as I threw this, I was just like, that's going to hit his face. And I watched it in slow motion, and I wanted to reach out and grab it back, but it was just like a heat seeking missile. And the heat was the left side of his face. And it crashed into his face knocked him to the ground, and, I mean, it must have hurt. I mean, the only good news in the story was at least I had given him some ice to kind of reduce the swelling. Um, <laughs> that must have immediately happened. But there's so many times that words have left my mouth that I wish I could reach out and grab them, and the truth is that just like a missile, they're going to destroy somebody, and they're going to take life from somebody. They're going to uh, just damage someone. Weiss, in the book, writes this, I do not want to wound more people. I want to help more people. I'm learning that a lot of the words that form in my head need to die before they make it to my mouth. How would your relationships be different if today some of the words that formed in your mind, you killed them before they made it out of your mouth? Your whole family dynamic might change quickly. Your relationships with friends and with children and at work might change dramatically if, if you could just learn to kill those words that form in your mind and need to die before they get out of your lips. Have you ever wanted revenge and you chose to not take it and it felt like death? It, it really kind of does. It feels like you're almost dying when you want revenge so bad. And then you, that moment that you're trying to walk away, it almost feels like I'm just going to die myself if I don't get my revenge. I want it so bad. The truth is, it's all a lie. It's all deceit because we don't feel better. But it feels like oh, I have to let go and just die to the revenge that I want, to the selfishness that I think will somehow make me feel better when it never actually does. Ever come up with the perfect insult? I mean, it's golden. It'll go down in history And you just realize, it's got to die. I've got to swallow it. It's got to be a big swallow just to swallow that thing and to not let it go. But, oh, we're so thankful when we listen to God and obey him in those moments, and we don't let something out that will damage somebody and damage our relationship. When we die to self, we also have to die to hypocrisy. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive him from anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we can't be a noun without verbs. We can't be an adjective and a noun without verbs. Otherwise, we're a serving servant who never serves. We're a giving giver who never gives. A loving lover Who never loves but Jesus has called us to those action verbs so let's place more emphasis on the action verbs that God has called us to and not just say yeah 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 I'm a Christian without those action verbs attached we just become hypocritical no we love and we serve and we follow Christ Augustine wrote in his book Confessions he said God my soul is like a house and it's cluttered and it's messy, and I invite you in, mess and all, and I give you permission to start remodeling right now. And that is a scary thought for us because we know the messes that are inside of us and the sin that has haunted us and the things that we've been disobedient, and what what God wants us to do is just say, God, come on in. Start doing your thing. Start cleaning house." I'll let you. I'm not going to resist. We die to self, lastly, because Jesus died for us. There's lots of good 316s in the Bible, and 1 John, like John, is one of them. 1 John 316, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When you think about Jesus laying down his life, Yes, he did ultimately lay down his life and die for you. But think about how many times in his life he died to self for you. I mean, he died to the idea of sleep and comfort and a home and regular work and income and any of the normal things that most human beings would chase. He died to all of that stuff. Remember in the garden when he was praying, he died to one of the hardest things to die to. He died to his own will, the will that said, I don't want to die like this. I don't want to go through this. But God, I will allow your will to be my will, Father. And he did. And Jesus, in perfect unity with the Father, that God the Son could say, my will is your will, your will is my will. And many of you know how difficult it is to give up on your idea your idea for what your life is supposed to be. It was supposed to go like this. And when it doesn't go like this, it wrecks the next 30 years of our life because it was supposed to be different, God. Ah. Just to die to our will and say, okay, God, I'm dying to my ideas of how my life was supposed to go, of how my day was supposed to go, of how my week was supposed to go, of what I wanted to do. And just say, okay, I trust you. Place my trust in you, the truth is that we've all been ruined by sin jesus though comes to remove that first john chapter 3 verse 8 says this the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the devil's work so you know that despair that you have in your life Jesus wants to destroy it. That addiction that you're struggling with, Jesus wants to destroy it. That depression that is haunting you, Jesus wants to destroy it. That selfishness that you hang on to, Jesus wants to destroy it. That greed and chasing of money, Jesus wants to destroy that. That apathy and that laziness where you just sit back and you ignore all the verbs of the Bible, Jesus wants to destroy that too. All of the sin in your life, Jesus came to destroy in you, working inside you. But it gets even better that Jesus doesn't just want to destroy that. He wants to give you life. See, this whole dying to self thing would be fairly empty if we were left empty. But when we die to self, we say yes to Jesus. And he takes the deadness and death of the stuff that we want and replaces that with the life that only he can give. And that is the life worth pursuing and the life worth living. In chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, uh, what we will be, we are not yet. In other words, something better is coming. And I pray that regardless of how you come here today, I pray that you would know that God loves you. I mean, God really loves you. He's head over heels for you. He, tr- he, he wants you to follow him and to be with him, and he's been chasing you from the day you were born. He wants you to be with him. He cares for you. And he wants you to be with him now and to live life now with him so that he can give you peace in your times of trouble. And he can give you joy when sadness is coming upon you. And he can give you fulfillment uh, in life and so that you know that your life has purpose. But he also wants to spend eternity with you. And he wants you to be with him when there will be no more tears and pain and crying and shame and guilt and just the whittling away of life. He wants you to be with him for eternity. And the question, how can I know that I'm saved? The question is, have you died to yourself and said yes to Jesus? Romans 6 talks about baptism, uh, and it gives kind of the symbolism of saying when we die to ourself, it's the symbolism of going into the water, just as Jesus died and went into the grave. So we die to our old selves that lead us to nowhere. And we die, and then just like someone comes out of the water, just as Jesus came out of the grave we come up a new person where Jesus fills us with life and gives us his spirit, forgiving us of the sins that we can't make up on our own. And Jesus wants to do that in your life as well. We would love for you to say yes to Jesus. There's nothing better that you could possibly ever do with your life. You can't do it on your own. And I just want to ask you this morning, would you die to self and say yes to Jesus? and accept the lavish love that God has for you, regardless of what you feel for yourself today. God loves you, and he cares for you. And this morning, if you are even ready this morning to say, yes, I want to respond and die to self and find life in Christ, uh, we would love for you to come forward during this next song. And there'll be some folks here that would love to pray with you and talk with you, and maybe you're ready to be baptized this morning, or maybe you would like to study The scriptures with somebody this week, we would be glad to do that with you. We do that with people uh, often, and we'd be glad to meet with you this week as well. Maybe you're just ready to say yes, and we want to help you with that decision too. If you would, would you stand up and let me pray for us? God, thank you that you died so that we could have life. And now to accept that life, you tell us that we have to die to ourselves. But the truth is we know that really that should not be too much of an ask because there's not much in ourselves worth really living for. So God, I pray that every person here could die to self and say yes to life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.